Okay, I've done it. I didn't know it existed, but I found the good YouTube. There's, there's a lot of good YouTube, man. Well, okay. I found the best YouTube. There's like woodworking YouTube. There's goat herding YouTube. There's, hey, we put goats into Taylor Swift song YouTube. There's uh, making models YouTube. There's painting stuff YouTube. It's a lot of goat YouTube is what I'm getting. Some goat tube. I mean, goat tube is pretty, but but like, I like, I like cleaning stuff YouTube. It's kind of like paint. It's like kind of like a water pressure simulator, water, okay. water. A pressure washer simulator, but without having to do all the work yourself. Can I can I just clarify real quick? You did say goat herding with a D. Yeah, you get to watch the dogs work the goats, which is nice. It sounded a little bit like goat herting. No, only a monster would hurt a goat. They're delightful animals. They're sweet and kind. Goats goats are wonderful. Okay, well, I found my personal best YouTube. Okay. And it is exclusively made up of old stock archival Titanic material. Wow, like pre-discovery of the ship under the ocean? Well, that's out there too. You can find okay. like colorized 4K footage of like, the, you know, the the very, the scant footage that was recorded. Oh, uh, like was, the was filming Ireland and yeah, stuff so like that? Oh, cool. That's out there. But what I'm talking about is I somehow watched an hour long talk that Bob Ballard gave from about 12 years ago the other Wait, night. Who's Bob, who's Bob Ballard? Uh, Bob, Bob Ballard is the world famous oceanographer who discovered the wreck of the Titanic. Wait, have you have you got Titanic fever, Brad? Kind of. It's submersible business really kind of acted as a jumping off point anyway. Mm, that's one thing way to say it. Okay. One of my prerequisites is that the quality needs to be bad. This was okay. like this was like four by three. It looked like it was shot on some kind of handy cam <laughs> in an auditorium at the university. Where, where does he teach? University of Rhode Island, I think. That sounds like with the Oceanographic Institute, I bet. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, whatever. He It was this like fascinating long talk about the process of finding the wreck. Okay. Uh, and a really good Q&A. This was all about like 12 years ago. And anyway, as soon as I finished watching that, YouTube then recommended to me uh, CBS has an archival, like a from the archives channel on YouTube. Wow. And I found their B-roll. Is it, is it, is it, does it qualify as B-roll if people are talking in it? Maybe not. No, that's just A-roll. I guess this was the press conference where he announced them finding the wreck like 48 hours after they had found it. And it's the entire thing shot by the CBS cameraman from start to finish. Oh, man. So, they did, oh, wow. No cuts. So I've never like it's I remember amazing. when that happened. I remember what a big deal that was, because like, like we had a Titanic coffee table book before that. Wait, it was really? like just this. Yeah, it was just like the story of the because, you know, because my mom and grandmother came over on those, not the Titanic, obviously, because that would have been 40 years, 30 years before they came over. But they came on the, the antecedents of those. Is that the right word of, of those ships? The successors. Yeah, successors. Uh, so successors they came over ships. like the Queen Mary and the QE2 and the um, I can't remember the other one, but on different trips back and forth because you couldn't you couldn't have normal people couldn't take planes back then. Also, you had to be kind of suicidal to do a transatlantic flight in 1940, I think. Fair, fair. Uh, yeah. I should put the link to this in, in the show notes because it's incredible for like eight different reasons. What, like, what were the questions like? Um, he didn't take questions at this. This was a solid 45 minutes of him talking. But like the kind, kind of maybe the most amazing thing about this is like he's a little disheveled at the beginning. And he makes it extremely clear that basically he has not slept in the last like 48 hours since they found it. I can't imagine. And that he was like up. They were up until like 4 a.m. the night before this press conference preparing these slides that they were to show to the press. And he like he says over and over, he's like, he's like, I haven't even analyzed the work that I did myself on this yet. Like no scientist wants to present their findings before they've even understood what they did. So please just like <laughs> take everything I'm showing you with a grain of salt. Like he's kind of on the edge in this thing. He seems extremely frazzled. It's kind of amazing. Was this on the ship? 
I don't know. It's in a big enough auditorium or kind of briefing space of some kind that I wouldn't think it was on a ship. I assume this was on land. It has to be in like Newfoundland or something then if it was only 48 hours. Yeah. Or maybe it might have been a little longer than 48 hours, but it was very like wow. at one point he kind of uh, like under his breath is sort of like says something along the lines of like, I, well, I guess it's. Well, it's been more than a few days since I found it, but I haven't slept since then. So it's basically all one day to me. <laughs> it's just like really <laughs> barely hanging on, but it's still like utterly fascinating. All the, the triangulation they did with like, you know, readings and positions and logs from the nights and like analyzing ocean currents and figuring out what the distribution of the debris field would be based on everything, all the data they had. Yeah, Cause that whole, that whole pro- like that process is designed to take, seemingly an infinite number of variables like wind and currents and like what direction the captain chose to make the ship go and and all of those things where they found the people. And it's not like they had GPS back then. So right. like the, the locations were based on how good the person on the, on the, what, what was the, um, what was the ship that rescued the people? The first one that started with the sea. So the Carpathia is Carpathia. the one that actually did go and rescue people. But there's another interesting aspect of this is that the California was the other ship that was basically basically watched them sink and did nothing. Yeah, because they thought they were shooting off the flares for because they were partiers. I, I don't know why, actually. I haven't looked that up. I, I, I wondered if it was because they knew it was a big ice field and they didn't want to put themselves at risk. No, the, the official line that I always heard was or read was that they thought it was like they knew the ship to be unsinkable. So they thought it was a celebration man's own hubris. Yeah. Like another aspect of this is that he chose to disregard a lot of the California's data because they, for various reasons, they found it to be unreliable. And one of those reasons they thought was that they kind of massaged the data to make themselves look better and not having responded. That's entirely possible. Um, anyway, Hey, you know what? There's some fun historical artifacts out there on YouTube to be found. I th- like, that's the thing that I love it's both the good and the bad thing about the centralized service, right? It's that it's, well, I mean, we'll talk about it in a second. I, I was going to say topical. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Uh, I apologize in advance if I sound scratchy or bad today. I have a, I have a bit of a cold, a summer cold, Brad. Went out of town and promptly got sick. Hashtag not Rona. As happens. Uh, we, we've tested, so nothing yet. We're, we're, we remain optimistic that it's just yeah, a common rhinovirus. But anyway, uh, we're here. We're podcasting. We're talking today, as we hinted in the intro, about Federation. Mm-hmm. This is finally our Star Trek episode, I guess. Yes, the United Federation of Planets, uh, Starfleet, the military slash exploration. Yeah, go on. Look, they've taken it to weird places in some of those new series. It used to be just a peacekeeping slash. Like Starfleet didn't start as cops. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Right. Yes. Well, actually, uh, I don't know. Having watched some of the original series, it was a lot more naval in the '60s. Yara. Uh, then it uh, became in the in the much more peace-loving 90s, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's fair. There's a lot of punching Klingons and Gorn and stuff like yes. that. There, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of World War II vets running that show probably at that point, let's say. Yeah, well, yeah, World War II in Korea probably, right? Yes. Like the youngsters were probably like hard-bitten hard, hard, hard bitten 
uh, the, uh, what, uh, journeyman to the 58th parallel. Is that it? That's sure. Right. That's the right. Anyway. Uh, but, but today we're talking about, um, we want to talk about, so Facebook did a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Meta, meta slash Facebook slash Instagram did a thing the other day, uh, that they've been threatening to do for a while. They released a Twitter competitor based on Instagram that will at some point in the future, theoretically use the activity pub protocol to federate out a micro blogging service uh, that is hosted by Facebook, basically. Yes. I think, does it use ActivityPub now, I assume? It does not it use ActivityPub. Not yet? It does not federate yet. It may use ActivityPub. They said they have explicitly said it's based on the Instagram backend at this point. Um, so uh, we, we thought, we've talked about this a little bit off and on. We've talked about kind of the end result of these these ideas, but we haven't actually talked about federation, we realized, and what it means. Like, you know, in the classic Star Trek sense, it means a, a, a grouping of things, a grouping of d- uh, dissimilar things into one homunculus of, sure. of, of, of governments. You know, um, actually, it, maybe we should start using the Star Trek analogy for this. It seems like it seems like this is a really abstract concept that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around to the point that like like the blue sky people used this kind of cities analogy of like every instance is his own city and they have transit that links them. And like some of those cities have museums and some of them have blah, you know, maybe maybe perhaps a like Star Trek and planets analogy is a better way to go. Well, but I mean, the, the idea is this is born out of 15 years, 20 years almost of, of proprietary closed uh, social media, social networks where you build as a user, build a a presence and a platform and, and inside, inside these closed platforms. And if you have, you know, for example, if you have 250,000 followers on Twitter and you want to go someplace else, because you don't like the new owner of Twitter, tough shit. There's nothing you can do because it's a completely closed uh, back end and, and, and your data, you can, you can export the data, but there's nothing functional you can do with that. Um, the, the, the interesting thing about these new kind of federated, uh, um, uh, protocols, which, which have been around, like, just to be clear, this isn't anything new. Like we've had, this is, this is how the internet started. You know, Usenet is essentially a federated protocol. Email is a federated protocol. Anybody can set up an email server. Anybody else can connect to that. You, there's, there's a, there's a. Uh, pro- mechanism to set up domain entries that let you connect to other domains from your own email servers. Now, it's a little less true now than it was 40 years ago because of things like the 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 thing that Google pushes to to help fight spam. You know, the spam becomes a problem in these unfederated networks as as has plagued IRC and Usenet and all the other all the other kind of uh, proto versions of these things. Um, but the, the the federated stuff that we're talking about here is designed to be a little more humane and a little more usable. Uh, and, and, and those are, um, the, the fundamental idea is that if you want to post on Mastodon, you can go create an account on somebody else's server someplace. But also if you want to pay Linode five bucks a month and, and, you know, download a Docker image for a Mastodon server, you can put that on your own domain and host it yourself. We, we do that for the, for mastodon.content.town right now. Yeah, I'm actually curious because you have done basically all the administration for that instance. Like, based on your experience, is it feasible for somebody to run entirely their own Mastodon instance just for their use, or is that so much upkeep and overhead that it would be ludicrous to do? Well, so there's a couple of um, kind of single single user designed Mastodon 
So Mastodon's open. It's based on three, two or three protocols, depending on how you look at them. Um, Activity Pub is the the one we're going to talk about most today, I think. Uh, and it's designed for multiple users on one on one instance. Uh, our friend Ben Brown has one that's a single serving Mastodon instance. And I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. I didn't actually write that write that down. Uh, it's not it's not Mastodon at that point. So initial initial point of note here is when we talk about Mastodon, we're going to use Mastodon and the Fediverse independently, interchangeably for the most part. The Fediverse is all of the all of the 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 software that can communicate using ActivityPub and the other associated protocols. Mastodon is just the most popular of those right now. Right. Um, uh, but, but important yeah. to note, Fediverse is, is very much a Mastodon slash ActivityPub concept. Like when people say Fediverse, they're talking about that specific network, like like Blue Sky is a separate thing from that, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Um, and the Fediverse comes from the universe that's federated. Like that's the idea of, of that whole thing. Uh, Shuttlecraft is Ben Brown's single user activity pub server. Okay. Um, and it, it basically... Like you can go to his GitHub page and and grab it. It's a Node.js web app with no dependencies that you could host on like Glitch and stuff or, or low 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 cost virtual host without having to have back backend databases and stuff like Interesting. that. Interesting. Uh, um, former former show guest Ben show, Brown. Former show guest Ben Brown. Yeah. Uh, so okay. So the but the main idea of federation is that anybody can host a server. There's two two main ideas. Anybody can host a server, and your data is portable. So if you want to move, uh, like if, if I, for example, if I'm on Twitter and you're on Instagram, you don't have a Twitter account. I don't have an Instagram account right now. There's no way for us to communicate with each other using those services. We have to go someplace else in a, in a federated ecosystem, assuming we all use the same protocols to talk to each other. I should be able to send a message to you on Instagram from my Twitter account, just like you would like, just like you could send me an email from your nextlander.com email address to my content.town email address. Right. Um, and follow each other further across, across instance boundaries. Yeah. And, and, and pull the relevant data that gets pushed out in a microblogging service or a photo sharing service or whatever. Um, the interesting thing about all the activity pub stuff is it's pretty open-ended. Like it's not like the Mastodon is microblogging, but there are versions of, the Mastodon software that, that are like designed to work like Instagram, where it's primarily a photo sharing thing or, a, or I assume there's like audio sharing and all sorts of other stuff as well. It's been, it's been, this is a little bit of a side. It's, it's been interesting as Twitter dies, as Twitter rapidly declines and these competitors emerge, watching people look back at the origins of Twitter and discuss like how things came about, such as the character limit. Uh, yeah, that is, was, that was a rem- remnant of SMS. Right. So, limits, so that right? was a, that was a reminder that like these days people talk about Twitter and, and it's ilk as, as microblogging, but that like the initial concept for Twitter was more public text messaging. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a text messaging party line is basically right. what it was. Right. Right. That's kind of where it came from. And that's where the, um, uh, that's where the character limit originated. Although they obviously expanded that once nobody used SMS really for Twitter anymore, but I would argue that the character limit is pretty key to the appeal of Twitter and things like it. Well, and and also like what part of the, the, the connection to text was one of the things that made Twitter really appealing early on in like disasters and, and things like the, 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 the Arab spring and stuff right. like that. Right. Especially where you don't have like proper data connectivity, but you can still send SMS. Yeah. Or where your government turned off proper data right. connect- connectivity. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Um, so, okay. So the two core ideas, anybody can host a server. Those servers can talk to everybody else and you can move your, 
you can move your content between servers. You you can you are not trapped on one server forever. If you if you accidentally end up on the Nazi server, you can get off the Nazi server and go someplace else. Yes, and and relatedly, if a Nazi server emerges and and happens to be federated with the rest of the network, everybody can just be like, well, fuck these people, yeah, and and kick them off to the point that they kind of can't interact with anybody else. Yeah. So so there's like and and just to be clear. There's a lot of activity in this space. There's a bazillion Mastodon kind of forks or variants or like there's like front end clients. There's Elk, which is a front end Elk.zone, which is a front end client that will connect to your Mastodon instance, like TweetDeck or or TweetBot or whatever your favorite Twitter client was, would connect to Twitter and let you um, uh, view your data through a different kind of lens. Um, there's there's Calkey, which is a like designed by humans version of Ma- like Mastodon is very open sourcey. It feels very open sourcey in a lot of ways. Calkey is designed to be a little more humane and kind of take the bells and whistles whistles of of Twitters and Instagrams and you know put them on that front end as well. And and the way the activity pub and 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 other protocols are set up, it, it work. It just kind of works. And like what your client knows about, it'll show, and then the other stuff doesn't get shown. Right. Um, I think that you know that that is for a certain definition of just works. Like there's. Oh yeah, it's definitely it's, def- some 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 concerns about onboarding with people who are less technical. That I think Mastodon has has taken on a reputation of being somewhat complicated and hard to get into. Well, there's concerns about onboarding. There's also weird stuff like posts federate across instances, but likes and reposts and stuff like that don't necessarily. So, so you end up in these, in these weird situations where you post something and, and 50,000 people liked it, but you only see two of them because you only see the likes from your particular instance, right? It's, it's not, it doesn't actually impact. I think the negative, what may seem like a negative in this case is actually often a positive because it means that you post things because you think they're interesting inside the community that you live in, not across the wider network. But when you come from Twitter and you're used to like getting engagement from the entire network, it feels weird. Um, there's a bunch of stuff going on. So there's the Mastodon and affiliated stuff through activity pub. Um, there's blue sky, which is on the AT protocol. That's the thing that's, that was backed by Jack Dorsey. Yeah. Who in his weird libertarianism uh, has, has always for, for a really long time has said, yo, Twitter shouldn't be on a proprietary backend. It should be a protocol and we're going to fund this thing. And they put Twitter, put some money into it. He put some money into it. Some other rich people put money into it. Then they employ like a, a dozen or slightly more people, I think, now building yeah, out something that's designed to be the commons. Right. right. Yeah. It, it, it spun out of Twitter, I guess, before Musk came along and bought Twitter. The intention was to develop this open protocol and then transition Twitter to it. Yeah. And and like, obviously, that has a lot of business uh, advantages for the, you know, for for them to be the ones that define the protocol. They can define it in a way that would have served their business instance or interests and well, and like the blue sky public benefit LLC is probably still doing that to a large degree. The the um, thing, the thing. Okay. So I'm going to say this and it, and I'm going to sound like a little naive maybe, but when somebody puts 20 or $30 million, even if it's not, even if that's the same as me putting 50 or a hundred dollars at something in terms of relative net wealth, I I'm going to like there, there's a significant amount of effort that's gone into this and I'm going to take them at their stated, like, I'm, I'm going to believe their stated goals. I, I generally do too. Like, like among their stated goals is that they're building the protocol. So it's independent of the company that, that builds the protocol um, to the point that like 
they're even considering one of the things that they talk about is what happens if there's an adversarial relationship between the company and the protocol, right? Like does, does the protocol need the company to survive stuff like that? Like, I, I, I think they're, I think they are, the people building it are for the most part seem like they're very young. I think they're pretty, um, I think they're pretty idealistic in a yes. lot of ways. Yeah, I was, I was going to say some of the language you see that they use around this initiative, the protocol, everything about it is a little bit ideological or dogmatic. Like they talk about the mission a lot. I'm like, I guess that is, I, I didn't, I had never heard of a PBLLC before this and read Kickstarter. Up a little bit. Oh, well, or, oh, that's right. Kickstarter is a public they, benefit they C also, Corp or B Corp, I guess. Right. I guess, Same idea. I, I guess, I guess that changes the obligations to stakeholders in terms of generating profit. Like it, it, or it lessens yeah. the obligations, I should say. Well, LLCs are not, it's difficult. You, you have to convert an LLC into a different kind of company to make it a public company first off, which is right. good. Yeah. But um, I think the PB there, part, the way the, they put it is that the, the PB part means that they don't have to prioritize profit over mission statements and growth specifically. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there are challenges with it because like one would argue that the activity pub has been around for a long time at this point and, and it would have been better to commit this effort into activity pub. I, I'm not deep enough in with the protocols and what they're doing to know where that lands. I, yeah, I also have often seen the benefit of two different groups of people building competing things and and the the strengths of those things, both of those things becoming better as a result of that. Yeah, so, uh, I've, I've talked to um a professional developer on our discord who has a uh, lot of experience working in the uh, open source and who has, uh, I think dug into these protocols, uh, their documentation quite a bit. I, th I think her, her take was that there's definitely some, a little bit of like not invented here kind of stuff, or, you know, they're re reinventing a wheel that has already existed with activity pub for a while. So like there is some of that overlap and functionality, the biggest advantage I have seen with the AT protocol. And I don't know how this is defined. They've, they've mostly described this in like blog posts is that, the user data is completely portable, like all of it. Um, I think we, we might actually need to pause at some point and define what like social graph means, because that's like a, a term of art or a piece of jargon I see flying around a lot lately. And I don't know exactly what that encompasses, but like they're they're basically saying like everything you do is portable and bundled up into one sort of I think they've used the word passport or something like identity, you know, terms like that. But that's like that's follows, likes, posts kind of everything you do can just be packaged up and taken somewhere else. Whereas with activity pub, my understanding, or you kind of touched on this, I think some of that can come with you to another instance, but in other cases, I think like the instance admin has to help you out to make some parts of your data portable and transfer it over. I'm, I'm not super clear on that stuff, but it, the, the transference is a little more limited. I think on Mastodon well, side. Yeah. On the Mastodon, on the Mastodon side, at least right now it is, like I said, actively in development. This is a, this is something that is a pain point for users. So it seems like something they're making uh, an, an effort to change. Right now, when you move migrate servers, uh, your follows and people who follow you both come with you, but your posts and likes and reposts and stuff like that. So you basically start with a clean account when you move onto the new server, and your old your old posts will remain where they were on the old server. But that then that that uh, account is basically like archived, for lack of a better term term um the, the 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 place that all of this stuff is, so okay there's a lot of people working on these problems there's a lot of activity pub clients there's lemmy which is like a link aggregate uh, uh, a reddit style link aggregator there's 
uh, Threads, which is the thing Facebook launched and has a bazillion users after on day three, more than any other federated social network immediately. Uh, Threads, that, Threads is probably the reason we're actually doing this episode, but we'll get into it. Yeah. Um, the, um, and actually, that might not be true because stuff like WordPress and Drupal and Tumblr all have activity pub plugins interesting that let you post directly intact so like th- you know theoretically if we were running uh content.town on wordpress we could put a plugin in that just automatically populates anytime we make a post on the podcast feed it would just go into the 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 tech pod uh mastodon uh instance sure so um oh uh i forgot what i was gonna i was gonna mention something else here and i've completely forgotten what it was Going. Oh, I mean, also Gab and Truth Social are activity pub clients. So it's like there's there's I think it's like it's worth it's worth talking about like explicit bad actors that are also using this technology because that gets into a test case of how instances can be siloed off and defederated and and et cetera, et cetera. Well, Well, yeah, I mean, the 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 big point is that these those two key ideas, the hey, anyone can host this and b your stuff is portable. Like anyone can host and and talk to anyone else on the network and, and your data is portable raise a lot of complicated issues, right? There's some, some obvious stuff. Like there's a lack of central services that people come to expect from Facebook and Twitter and Flickr and, and all the, you know, the, the early uh, social media stuff. Like you don't get algorithmic recommendations because there's no algorithm. There's no reason for an algorithm on Mastodon because you know, those aren't for-profit enterprises for the most part, you know, people are hosting servers for their communities uh, or building new communities and hosting servers there. And they don't like, if you're not making money from people looking at ads, there's no reason to prioritize engagement, which means there's no reason to have algorithmic recommendations, which means everybody just sees a reverse chronological feed of who they follow or the reverse chronological feed of all everything that's posted on the server in the case of Mastodon. So you can see like the local timeline and see what people on your instance are talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say the profit motive is the only reason for algorithmic sorting. Like there is just a certain um, overwhelming volume of posts you can reach if you follow a lot of people where like i mean there's a convenience factor yes for the most part algorithmic timelines exist because more time spent on the app means increasing the amount of time somebody spends on your social media app increases the number of ads they see which increases the money for the company right it's like definitely the case on like big corporate platforms but i I, I think there, there is some argument for like light curation just like you said as sort of a convenience or sorting feature um, even, yeah. even on, even on these open platforms. Well, or, um, there's a th- the thing that blue sky does is actually really neat where they, they have a relatively straightforward way to create custom feeds based on, you know, your, your own criteria. So you, I can make a feed of all of my friends posts, people I follow's posts that don't have any likes yet. So I can be like, Oh, Hey, let's see, maybe I can give some likes out and make people feel good about the posts that they did today. Right. Have you, have you messed with that stuff at all? Cause like that, that was one of their big pitches and, and it, it being Blue Sky and the AT protocol, I think, are are also in active development and even more nascent than Mastodon and, and ActivityPub by a lot. By so a huge margin, yeah. So so a lot of the stuff just hasn't even been fully implemented or defined yet. But like that's one of their big pitches for this thing is like, hey, you can have your own algorithms. You can do your own sorting. Every instance can have its own moderation and, and stuff like that. Like the way you're describing it makes it sound more like just a glorified version of Twitter lists. It, it's, and I, I don't know if like I had kind of had the impression that it was going to be more like, oh, you can like, there will be waiting involved and you can like kind of define specific search terms and not just like make a flat list of accounts. But I, I, I haven't actually touched that stuff. 
Well, so, so the, yeah, you can do it programmatically rather than just making a flat list of accounts. So for example, it's allowing users to create, um, kind of behaviors that then can be programmatically exposed to people who are interested. So for example, the science Twitter people use the test tube emoji and stuff that they think is worth going in the feed. So if somebody's sharing like news about it, some new study or like some interesting climate change stuff or you know, whatever it happens to be, they'll put the test tube emoji in and, and then that gets pumped up to the science Twitter, the science uh, blue sky feeds. So it, it, like imagine the users can create their own retweet mechanism that's topic you tied to a topic or like there's you know you can you can do things like filter for stuff that's listed as not as sexually explicit right like you can you can filter out whatever you want you can either add it to your feeds or remove it from your feeds which gives you kind of power over over the stuff you see in a way that is pretty novel frankly after spending years on twitter and and facebook and stuff like that anyway it's 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 a neat idea and i th- and i think those can be um made publicly available like it's easy to just copy yeah, you can do, it's just a it's just a like a it, there's a tool that will let you create them and then add them to your thing and then you can make them publicly available from there and i think that tool was actually made by a user i think i, I want to say it's probably json or something but i didn't look at see what the back end is for that um the other stuff that's not available is stuff like centralized search. So like there's no Mastodon wide search. And a lot of people are actively against Mastodon wide search because they want like they want the, you know, they want the freedom of putting a robots.txt file on their on their host that prevents Google and, and Facebook and everybody else from indexing, indexing their stuff. Um, the big one is that there's no moderation yeah, on I mean, these or no cross platform moderation, I guess. Yeah. Mod- moderation, I think, is probably the thorniest topic here or the hardest one to solve when everything is broken up piecemeal into a bunch of little fiefdoms instead of having one giant company with. It's the biggest large, scope for large, sure. Yes. With a yeah. large amount of resources to actually do moderation correctly, which is not to suggest anybody actually does it correctly, but like it, you know takes a lot of resources. Well, I mean, I think, so I think the, um, and, and just to be clear, the gold standard on moderation and, and the challenges of moderation is tech dirt. Mike Masnick over there has been talking about moderation in a thoughtful, intelligent way for a really, really long time. Um, but, but the moderation, so we run a Mastodon instance. Uh, Everybody's welcome to join. It's in, you have to get approved. It usually takes a day or two, depending on how often I log into the Mastodon server. Um, but we, we run it for our community and, and people are, are, we welcome everybody. It's a fair to high load for moderation, even with like 400 people on the server, um, just because of the way reporting works. Cause you know, when somebody reports an account, the report goes through me and then it goes off to the server where the, where the account that's reported lives. And I, it's fine. It's like two clicks for me to move through, but if somebody goes through and finds a bunch of spam, it gets hit by a bunch of spammers. Then it means that I have 40 clicks to do on Tuesday morning. And, um, like it is not, it is not as turnkey as say running a brand page on Twitter, right. Where you, where you just block racists and, and spammers. Um, there's also the larger problem of how you moderate bad servers. Like if white supremacists or pedophiles or spammers, whatever, set up, uh, set up an instance of their own, which is something that again, takes about 10 minutes. If you know how to do Docker containers or whatever, and and pay five bucks for a Linode, uh, it's really easy for them to have an outsized impact because one, one bad server will 
can create a, an incredible amount of spam in almost no time. Um, so like there needs to be, and this is something that the Mastodon dev team is actually working on now, as I understand it is a, a way to share defederation data. Defederation is when you, when you say, Hey, we're not going to take any more data from the server. We're cutting them out of our, out of our network. Um, it's the, it's basically the, the, the kill file from Usenet, uh, for an entire server. And, um, you know, there, there, there needs to be tools that make it easier to share that information between instances. So for example, if I, I like, I trust the hacker town, which is the, the one, the instance that Mike Masnick runs, I think he has a, his, his feelings about moderation align very closely with mine. I trust him to take his defederation list. I would love to be able to just subscribe to his server's defederation list, cut that, cut that out from there. Now, that also is problematic, right? We saw how block lists were abused and like people would say, Hey, I want to, I mean, here's a giant block list of a bunch of people who are anti-trans on turfs on Twitter. Right. And then the people who, the malicious people who made those block lists would also put a bunch of pro trans activists into those lists. So those people get blacklisted, uh, allowed block disallowed as well. Yeah. And it's, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, like the whole thing is fraught is yes. the, I guess where I'm going. And then one, one, one trend that I think is fairly inarguable that I've observed over the recent years is that people don't do a whole lot of due diligence about stuff like that necessarily. Yeah. So you want to think about that as you're signing up for a Mastodon instance or right. an activity pub instance. Yeah, what, what I what I mean is like that, like a lot of people are very prone to seeing something that sounds good natured like that. And and granted, like who's got the time to sit there and go through thousands of account names in this thing to see who's actually getting blocked in this list. But like, you know, same thing happens with the way news is disseminated on places like Twitter, right? Like a lot of people yeah. don't read past the headline that is embedded in the tweet and just take whatever that says at face value without reading the piece. You know, never mind whether the piece is even well intentioned or if it is actually misinformation or not. Yeah, it's it's like the difference between like, the Wall Street Journal and the Wall Street Journal's op-ed page. Yes. Right. And like when, I'm as guilty of this as, as anyone, to be clear, but like, you know, a lot of a lot of people are very prone to just sort of passively absorbing stuff that goes by in their feed or clicking a block list, thinking that it's that it's on the up and up and yeah. not necessarily following up on what it's doing. So yes, that stuff like that is very prone to abuse. Well, and then and then there's a whole other level of complexity on the activity pub side by the fact that Facebook or sorry, Meta owns threads. <laughs> we we lost that fight, didn't we? Like, I'm just going to keep calling it Facebook forever. I, I, at this I, point. I, I, I'm, I, I spent a month or two like consciously refusing to call it Meta, but I think everybody else has moved on. So anyway, um, but they have a terrible history toward moderating political speech that causes an increased moderation burden. So something that's going to cause people to complain about it, they just will ban everything on both sides. Uh, they had the classic example is, hey, uh, like you shouldn't block, you should be able to post breastfeeding pictures on Instagram, right? Or on Facebook because there were a bunch of mom groups and they needed to be able to show how latching works. And, and, and it's not like sexual, like breastfeeding shouldn't be sexual content. I realize I'm naive on this as well. The, the point is they were, they were applying, like, it's weird to take one country's uh, standards for all, for lack of a better term and apply them to everywhere in the entire world uh, just because the company happened to be started in, in one particular country. So, yeah. um, so, so the end result of the whole breastfeeding on Facebook thing was that there's a whole bunch of really screwy rules about 
how close babies' mouths need to be to a nipple for it to count as sexual content versus non-sexual content. And it's it's just, it's a nightmare, right? The yes. whole thing is a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so I, we should talk about Threads, probably, that launched this week. It's built on top of Instagram. Yeah. Um, it's just, not a place for news or political no, commentary. That, that's the thing I was going to bring up, since that's what you're touching on in the context of Facebook, is that uh, Adam Mosseri, I had not heard of him. I think, is he the, the head of Instagram? Yes, he is currently the head of Instagram. Yeah, he's the, he's the Instagram overlord. Um, but also apparently ran the Facebook news feed several years ago. Uh, and has a fine product that has absolutely no problems in the past or right. anything with promoting uh, fake content that yeah. militarized a large portion of the country. Yes. Uh, and got a lot of people killed. Um, no genocide since 2018. Yeah. Anyway, he's come out and very explicitly said, uh, what were the terms? Politics and hard news are the terms that he used. That politics and hard news are not going to be encouraged on threads. Not for, br- it's you know, it's for brands and influencers. He, he literally says it's like, <laughs> there are more than enough amazing communities, sports, music, fashion, beauty, entertainment, etc., to make a vibrant platform without needing to get into politics or hard news. Like let's very, not make anything that's going to be complicated guys. Okay. Or, con- or controversial or invite any kind of scrutiny whatsoever. I mean, but on, on top of that, I, it's very notable. The examples that he did give here, sports, music, fashion, beauty, and entertainment, all extremely brand driven categories or verticals as he is, uh, as, as they, as they call them, you know, like, they're categories like, that there's a really good advertising pipeline from influencers yes. through to brands, to stores. So that, that's exactly a weird what coincidence. It, that, yes, that's exactly it. Like threads. I don't know if it's going to catch on or, or, or win out or whatever. If anybody truly wins out and emerges as the victor here, it has a huge user base already by virtue of piggybacking on the existing Instagram user base. But like, is very much the vibe that is emerging about threads so far is that it's the platform for brands and influencers and like your corporate middle manager boss, you know, and soccer moms, like mainstream people who don't know or care what federation is and just want a Twitter successor in, in, a, in, a, in a safe, cozy corporate environment. And I was going to say that is an important point because like the, the data and the feedback both to Blue Sky and to Mastodon uh, in general is that. Most people don't give a shit about Federation. Yeah. Yes. Which, which Understandable. Like, kind of they shouldn't yeah. have to. Yes. I, very, like, very I think true. that's part of the, the core thing. Um, but, I mean, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, you know, three or four days in, Meta is three times the size or, or Threads is three times the size of the entire the entirety of the Fediverse up until this point, because yep. it's like 12, 13 million people on on Mastodon and, and a associated activity pub sites. Well, that's, that's higher and, than I would have expected. Well, I mean, they've been doing it for five yeah. years, six years. Yeah, um, and, and, and they have seen, they've seen big, huge spikes when Twitter, when Elon Musk does something shitty at Twitter, starting with the sink and going on down the, um, the, the thing that's, the thing that's weird though, is because of Facebook's moderation policies in history, we're going to end up with a weird like AOL slash real internet split again, which, which arguably already Facebook has done for a large number of people. Yeah. But, but like it, it's, it's that happening again. And I'm going to be absolutely fascinated to see what happens with cross instance moderation from the rest of the Fediverse to threads and vice versa. Like, like some Mastodon in, uh, instance hosts are kind of, like aggressively saying they're going to defederate threads from the beginning, which I kind of get because 
adding 30 million people to the network overnight is going to cause a lot of moderation overhead just for everyone. Um, people on Mastodon instances are going to report like if you like if you report if they, just to be clear, Threads isn't connected to the Fediverse yet. Yeah. If you report, though, if it if it was and you reported Pizza Hut for being a shitty brand on Mastodon, on your Mastodon instance, it's going to create overhead for your local admin, which is which is bad. Like, that's not an OK thing. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's a whole like how is how is there's a lot of sex workers and there's a lot of nudity and there's a lot of like like everything from like classic nineties internet arch anarchism to like hacker bullshit to whatever else on Mastodon and Fediverse right now, how is Facebook, are they going to filter that? Are you going to get like content warnings? Like this is outside the, this is outside the brand friendly Paris Hilton, Chloe Kardashian zone. You might, you might see a penis if you go here or, or like, I don't know what that, what that looks like. And it's a real weird question to the point that I don't, it wouldn't surprise me a lot if threads ends up never actually connecting to the activity pub. Sure. Especially, I mean, if they, you know, achieve the critical mass of users they want without it, then what is there to be gained unless they're just looking to mine data from people in the Fediverse? Yeah. Like that's kind of the bigger thing about threads to me is like, we've just seen what the effect of complete centralization is and what the risks are of a very bad actor taking control of the network and ruining it. So yeah. to see this much excitement about people just hopping from one shitty billionaire's platform to another uh, yeah. is, is concerning to me. <laughs> well, look, the nice thing about Musk being such a shit bag is that it makes Zuckerberg look like he's much it's, less bad. It's crazy. It's re- <laughs> the effect, the relative effect has been kind of amazing to watch. Um, the, the other big issue that hasn't been really touched on by, I mean, it's been on tech dirt and a couple other places, but I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it is that there are, real serious legal implications of hosting a, a node for these, for these, um, uh, for, for these, uh, uh protocols. Um, you, there's legal overhead for reporting type of content you might find if it's, whether it's CSAM, uh, like ch- child sexual abuse material, um, uh, uh, like threats that need to be reported. There's all sorts of stuff uh, that is, is a problem. There's also like GDPR overhead. When you reach once you reach a certain size, if you have a Mastodon instance with a hundred thousand people on it, suddenly Europe cares about you and whether you're collecting, what kind of personal data you're collecting, whether you sub, whether you comply with the right to be forgotten, which you do kind of on a platform level, but it's complicated and hard and you have to be able to produce like there's stuff you have to produce. Um, if someone does, if someone, and because of the way Federation works in terms of, Everybody on there's a feed that Mastodon generates that you can turn off, I think now, which is good, but it's, it's all of the people who all of the people on your server follow. And if somebody on your server isn't even creating bad stuff, but they follow someone who, who creates bad stuff, you can end up in a situation where you're like dealing with the FBI because there's, there's uh, a CSAM or copyrighted material or any of the other things that the FBI gives a shit about on your server and then it's your problem. And, and like, that's a, that's a, that's kind of a lot of overhead that Twitter and Facebook and, and the, the, the social networks have, have shouldered up until this point. Um, I guess we should probably also add the possibility there, uh, on top of, on top of bad content getting federated onto your server that was posted intentionally since this stuff is all open source and like, you know, not fully mature yet. There's probably also, 
currently unknown security vulnerabilities, like in terms of people's accounts getting hacked, like like there, there's there's probably a lot of potential for things to get compromised and, and bad stuff to show up that way as well. Yeah, I think well, Mastodon has two factor now. Um, I don't think Blue Sky does yet. Um, but but yeah, like, hey, somebody's account gets hacked and you're it's on your server. So you need to help them get their account back. Right. right? Or determine how you're going to tell it's them so that they can get their account. And, and, back. Also, and also potentially deal with whatever was done with their account while yeah. it was hacked. Yeah. Um, so how all this how these these kind of core ideas, the hey, anybody can host it and your data can, you can talk to anybody else on the network and your stuff is portable are implemented is varying widely right now. And it, and it will likely change over time. Like Mastodon is aware that not bringing your posts over is a problem, right? Like that is, I think a thing that I don't know if there's an ETA or a timeline on it, but there's definitely, there's definitely GitHub activity around that idea. Okay, that's that's um, good to hear. Uh, the, but, but I mean, also the protocol has been around for a long time. If, server if you want to move to a server that hasn't updated their version of mastodon in a while you may or may not be able to do that so like there's version version mismatch mismatch mitch mish wow that's hard to say uh mismatch issues a mismatch mismatch yeah say that one three times while um, you're sick the uh, the and then the other side of it is that Blue Sky is so new that all they've done is advertised intent. They aren't actually like very little is actually actionable and available right now. They're they're talking through it. They're testing stuff. They're building test clients and test servers and stuff like that. Uh, there there are I believe that there is a test server yes. that you can build now that will let you build a, a, a server that will federate out with blue sky, but, they, but yeah, they are running a sandboxed federated network, but it's not like they explicitly say at the top, like, Hey, this is not like for public consumption. This like, don't post serious stuff on this. This is just our test bed. Yeah. Um, but that is at least possible to hook into if you're a developer, like the way blue sky is going to go is really interesting to me because Mastodon came out of open source and it was federated from the start and decentralized from the start, right? Like Blue Sky is painting this this Blue Sky picture of doing the same thing, mm-hmm. but they are very centralized currently, right? Like there's only the one instance, bsky.social. It's invite only. You need an invite code to get into it right now. Like setting aside the promises they're making about decentralization and federation for down the line, like right now it looks like a central Twitter clone, right? Or centralized Twitter clone, right? So like, I'm, I'm curious, like I'm, I'm, I'm less like nitpicking. Are they actually serious about what they're promising and more like, what are the long-term social dynamics going to be of this service emerging the way it is? Like, right. To put it another way, are 98% of the people who sign up for blue sky, even once it's open, just going to sign up on bsky.social and f- forget that any kind of federation even exists and just treat it like it's a new Twitter. Like that seems fairly likely. It, it's interesting. Cause like when there were, I mean, I think they're up to, they're closing in on a couple hundred thousand users. Now I'm not sure what the number, I haven't like looked at the number lately. I think they, I yeah. think they, they've started generating more invite codes and there was a huge influx when the Twitter rate limit fiasco happened. Yeah. So around, um, around the time they hit a hundred thousand users, they started talking about federation publicly. Like the developers started talking about federation publicly. And just to be clear, like it is a small team. I get that. I've, I've worked on small teams my whole life. They do communication through like their lead devs. So yeah, it's, 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 they're not, they are not thoughtful about communication in a way that bums me out as somebody who thinks about how you communicate professionally a lot. 
Yeah, that that uh, what's the guy's name? Paul 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 does a lot of posting. Frizzy yeah. Frizzy. Frizzy. Um, yeah, he does both shit posting and content posting for the brand, which is anyway whatever. It's it fine. seemed very telling to me when I got on there that he is both one of their lead developers and also was kind of the de facto like company mouthpiece for a long time. They've got they've got other people out there messaging now who I assume are in more like Jay target. and Emily have posted uh, stuff Emily in the is, past. The blog the, has a lot of good information on it now. They're getting better, but it's still. It it seems a little hither nether. Yes, it's, it's been it's been pretty uh, higgledy piggledy. Uh, higgledy, sure. I, I'm enjoying <laughs> enjoying all the random terms coming out of your cold addled brain today. My brain's a little weird today. Uh, it's um, okay, but 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 I mean they the the thing that is interesting is their mandate is hey we want to build the commons and we want this to be decentralized right and and you had you asked a question in the notes late here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Oh, and, and by the way, there are multiple servers in the sandbox federated network. There are developers that are outside blue sky that have, that are running servers with clients on them that are federating yeah. in. So it is actually like that part's actually working. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. kind of the rest of it is like, Oh, huh. I'm, yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not questioning the functionality they're promising. I, that I'm sure that will happen. It's more, it, like I said, it's more, is there going to be a critical mass of people signing up outside of the actual blue sky instance or not? Like, are we going to have a bunch of other communities that don't even use the word blue sky that are thriving or will 98% of people just end up on this, in this main instance run by them, that that remains to be seen. And that's, that's something that can't be predicted. I, I mean, if like the question is if, if hotmail was invented in 1984, would there be other email clients now, right? Email servers and email clients. And right. and I don't know. I mean, I yeah. think there probably would be by this point, but I think it's, I think we're, we're starting with this round. We're starting with the end point first, which is we want something that's kind of like Twitter, but not doesn't suck. And then backing into the rest of it from there, which is, which is opposite of how the, the first wave of internet protocols developed. Yeah. The, the, the one other thing I'll note that they mentioned in a blog post, um, this was kind of in the description of like, oh, your user identity is all one package of data. Your posts, your likes, your followers go with you everywhere. Like in that context, they and talk, the people who follow you also that yes, that gets communicated to the new server. Yeah, followers, followers is, is that's the key one here because the example they gave was like, hey, in the future we hope to see this protocol and this user identity system also become the basis of things like a video platform or dating apps or like. It kind of got me thinking. I mean, obviously YouTube is massively entrenched, but like. What if your Twitter follows were also your YouTube follows were also your X, Y, and Z other platforms, you know, like what if you had, this is, I, I doubt we're ever going to get to this point, but like, what if you did have one list of followers that just worked across the entire internet on every platform that adopted the protocol? I mean, that seems nice. Maybe, I don't know. It's like gravitars, but people use it. Yes. Bring back, like everybody should, <laughs> they should standardize around gravitars for all of this. God. Uh, I think WordPress owns Gravatar now, yes, but I'm not sure. I think that's right. Um, so, so, okay. So I'm going to read your big question unless you want to read it. Um, yeah, I can read it. Sure. I'd, I should read, read it. it here as a thought starter. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about. Are, are decentralization and comprehensive moderation mutually exclusive or not? It's an interesting question. Cause like, I don't think, and, and I especially don't think after people got sacked from Twitter and started talking about their experience there, I don't think Twitter realized that their product was really moderation for quite a long time. Yeah. Like the, the, the thing that moderation at, uh, so to a little backstory, we've talked about this in the past, but on, on in, in the pre social media days, 
everybody had these websites that had editorial content on them. And that was really valuable content. So you could sell a bunch of expensive ads against that. But then you also had a place for, for users to hang out and chat in message boards or forums. And that was generally review, uh, viewed as uh, a lot of traffic that was completely unmonetizable because there might be things that advertisers don't want to put their content up beside. Um, so, so you would do a $70 CPM on the main news, news and editorial side of the site, and you'd get 50 cents per thousand views. CPM is per thousand views uh, on the, on the, on the, uh, other side. Now, the nice thing is Google has effectively raced to the bottom, the entire value of online ads over the last 20 years. So if you get 75 cent CPMs anywhere now, you're doing pretty well. Um, it's not exactly the way we hoped that would go, I guess, but the the upshot is Twitter and Facebook and and the moderated social networks by removing the pictures of penises and the and the bomb threats and the people posting shock pictures and all that stuff from the normal humans feeds made a place where people could inter- interact with other people on the Internet that was still ripe for advertising and for high dollar advertising in a lot of cases. Um, now. There's two, Mike Masnick had a really good article about this. And I, I think it's, it's linked in the show notes uh, about, he, he, like I said, they've been talking about moderation there for a really long time now at Tech Dirt. Um, his, his whole premise is that there's two kinds of moderation. There's top down, which is like what Twitter and Facebook and all those guys do, uh, where some corporate overlord or government or whatever says, hey, this is what's allowed and this is what isn't. And it's a constantly moving target. And you have to constantly adapt to the new ways people attack your moderation rules. And, and, and you have to spend a lot of time and energy and thoughtful. And it absolutely doesn't scale in any way, shape, or form because there's an infinite benefit to bad actors to mani- for manipul- manipulating the moderation and, and uh, annoying and harassing and scarring your users. And uh, it's easy. It's an easy, a massive threat surface. Now, the other way to do this is grassroots from the bottom up, where the communities set the standards, and then those standards filter up and percolate up through the through the world. And Usenet is the classic example of this, because in in the old days in Usenet, or IRC works too, but but Usenet. Uh, people would share parts of their kill files. A kill file on Usenet was a like a mute list. So keywords, usernames, things that you didn't want to see anymore. If you didn't want to see anything about Barney the Dinosaur, or you didn't want to see a post that had uh, other posts 12 layers deep, you would just you just comment, you just add carrot right, carrot right, carrot right, carrot right, carrot right to your kill list. And you'd never see a post that had more than five replies deep in it. And you never had to decode all that nonsense. Um and and then people started sharing their kill files or bits and pieces of their kill files and and that kind of you know created community standards from the from the from the ground up uh, i think blue sky is trying to do the latter like it seems like they want instances to have tools to manage moderation and then have through some magic that hasn't really been adequately described yet percolate that stuff up to the larger network yeah, and I think that might be where they're running into some problems or a disconnect because as much as they seem to want to decentralize the moderation and leave it to instances to a large degree and even to users uh, to some degree, like I said before, it still looks like Twitter. It is still in a centralized service for now. And so people have expectations that the moderation will be conducted in a similar way that it was there, uh, even though they are not necessarily doing that all the way yet. Yeah, they don't have 500 people. Well, 
they're applying moderation unevenly to different groups and to, yeah. to different levels of visibility, which that's, is, which is the classic, Hey, I've fucked up moderation. Right. Problem. Like that, that's, that's, that's part of what I'm getting at. I guess I should just say like more broadly, the point of this question is simply like, I'm, I'm not in any way looking at what has been done in the corporate centralized moderation space in terms of like, you know, existing real world examples on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, not to suggest those have been perfect or even good, but more, or just like abstractly, you know, on a centralized platform, you've got total control over, you, you can do whatever you want with 100% of the contents. Presumably, the only entities big enough to run centralized platforms are large companies and governments and so forth that have a lot more resources. And so like, what are the resources required to run moderation that comprehensively or, or top down, like you said? And then on the other side, in a decentralized situation, You've only got so much control over things that happen on other nodes that are not you, right? So, like, like I'm just curious if these two needs can coexist or if this is a problem that can be solved or if there are just inherent difficulties in both approaches that make it tough to combine them. Well, I mean, they're, they're the thing you can't say is every user is left to deal fend for themselves. Right. Right. Because... You know, that's, that's the equivalent of saying it's, it's the wild west, right? You walk out in the street, everybody has their six shooter and whoever draws last draws, draws for the last time, I guess. Um, you, you have to build, you have to give people the tools to build communities that protect the most vulnerable among them. Uh, this was, this was, they, they said this actually in a blue sky, uh, blog post a few weeks ago, which is that they want. Uh, they don't want to own the content, right? They don't want to own social graphs, the followers and following and all that stuff. They don't want to own the communities. They want to be a tool that helps these communities own and govern themselves. So, you know, if you think about it in terms of like the, the, the metaphor is like the constitution of the United States, right? Hey, here's a framework uh, into which other things can be added that will allow you to continue to be self-sustaining. Now, not a perfect metaphor, not a perfect example, obviously. Um, but the idea that moderation is a community, like keeping a community safe is a requirement for all the members of that community is, is I think interesting and, and probably right. Like if you think about it, it's the same thing as putting a report button on a message board software where when some spammer comes in, 20 people can hit the report button and then the spammer goes away. We did that at giant bomb and tested back in the day. It's, it's a, that's a, that's a classic example. And it's, it's the kind of thing that worked really well on like Slashdot for a really long time. Slashdot comments. I, I'm sure people like Slashdot was the first example I saw of this in that they had, if you were a logged in user Slashdot and you posted the comments every once in a while, the, 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 the you get a pop-up. It wasn't really a pop-up, but you get a message that said, hey, you have five moderation points to use today. You should uh, upvote the five best comments that you see. And um, that was interesting, and that worked reasonably well. But then people would try to push their and, – and they gave you guidelines. They were like, hey, this shouldn't be pushing your agendas. This should be the most thought-out, cogent thing, blah, 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 blah. Um, then that worked out well, but then people started using it to push their agendas and and boost up shit that they thought was important and other people maybe disagreed. So they added actually a, another layer of meta moderation that popped up way more frequently. So the meta moderators were given comments and the context for those comments and were like, hey, this person voted this comment up. Do you think that was a good upvote? Or this vote person voted this comment down. Do you think that was a good downvote? And, and then result of that was that generally speaking, the best comments on Slashdot 
you know, replying to Slashdot articles kind of got filtered up to the top of the list, um, which worked because uh, uh, presumably uh, like a single digit percentage of the users of Slashdot comments interacted with that meta, meta, those moderation and meta moderation systems. So it's possible to do. It's yeah. like people have done, there have been successful iterations of this in different contexts in the past. I don't know. Like it remains to be seen if blue sky can make this work in a federated way across multiple instances and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I probably should have written this question more broadly. I'll, I'll just give you the example that actually got me thinking about this topic in the first place was the big influx of people onto blue sky last week. And I, as I was watching more conversation from people who were new to the platform and were getting their heads around what the idea of federation is going to mean in the long run, I was seeing a fair amount of people saying, like, I don't want a bunch of silos. That's why I didn't want to go to Mastodon. I don't want a bunch of loosely connected networks that might or might not interact with each other very well. I want one giant thing. Like, I want the global thing that Twitter is. And like, that's that's so it's actually bigger than just moderation. I guess what I really should have said is sort of like general operations or even more broadly, like what people want. Like, I guess what I really should say is, is our decentralization and what people wanted from Twitter compatible is really what I'm getting at because, because again, and I get it. I totally get why like the big part of the appeal of Twitter is that fucking everybody's on there. I mean, not everybody, obviously like it's a pretty small social media platform, all things considered, but like news, current events, politics, people were all there. Politicians, celebrities, actors, CEOs, billionaires, you name it, like everybody with large public profiles was on Twitter and talking to each other. And that's why people like Twitter is that it exposes you to kind of the entire the entire strata of like global society. Right. Everybody from like the richest people on Earth to leaders of nations are are on there and can be talked at, if not engaged in, in conversation. Right. So like, like I think that's that's the thing people are looking for out of Twitter that I wonder if 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 things fragment they're not going to get anymore and that there may be some, some discontent around that stuff. And, well, well, and that, there was, uh, go ahead. There was an interesting thing, especially early on Twitter when the Russians became involved in the misinformation campaigns, you know, five, 10 years ago. Now it became less useful, but like for a long time, Twitter was the best place to get breaking news. Yeah. Right. You'd get on the ground posts from people that were like some guy posted a picture from his ferry ride home from Manhattan to Staten Island of, of the, the Sully, uh, us air flight that crash landed into the Hudson river, right. Or East river. I can't remember which one, but anyway, like, like you, you would get that you'd get when, when the California fires were going, we got information from Twitter about where the fires were, because that was the thing that worked most reliably. Um, the, the, the Arab spring stuff, the, uh, the, like there's a whole bunch of examples of breaking news happening and Twitter having that information before anyone else in the world did. And, and like, that's, that's the thing that I think like that's that, that was the thing more so than posting about buying socks or pants or whatever it was that we didn't put her in 2007, being able to watch those conversations happen and, and um, understanding more about what was going on because you weren't just getting the newscaster perspective or the, the journalist perspective of the story, but you were getting, you were actually able to see the people that were there and what they were saying about it was the, was the, the was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I, I hope that we don't lose that with this transition. Yeah. So that's kind of the last point I was going to make here is that in the context of what people want and that clearly being a global, like one global network for a lot of people, 
I feel like we should maybe prepare for the possibility that there isn't one definitive winner out of this race to be the next Twitter and that like a bunch of or at least more than one of them catches on in a way that is sustainable and that we actually on top of any one network being decentralized, we end up in a world where there are a bunch of competing solutions here that all sort of hang around and that we do have a threads community and a Mastodon community and a, a blue sky. And like there are, there just is no one Twitter replacement that, that things do fragment across services. Well, so look, the good news is that this has all happened before, right? Like we had two protocols for email in the, in the ancient dark times before, you know, everybody was on the internet. There was this thing called BitNet uh, early on, which was called, it was, I think it's short for, because it's their network. It was started in 1981 and it was a, a university computer network um, that linked a bunch of different uh, colleges and eventually became part of the internet as a, as a larger, larger point. And depending on where your friend went to school as as late as 1993, when I was a freshman in college, you had to send a, you had to use one of the bitnet gateways to talk to them from a normal pop email client or an IMAP email client. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's happened before. If AT protocol takes off and blue sky takes off, somebody will write a blue sky to activity pub bridge. Sure. And, um, you know, that'll, that'll all like it, the nice thing about these being open protocols is that you can make open protocols, talk to each other. And, um, that's the bummer about threads, honestly, is that yes. if threads decides not to ever turn on activity pub support, then there'll be a hundred million people, 200 million people, a billion people, whatever, whatever ends up, end up, ends up over there. Uh, not, not part of that overall commons. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's like being trapped on AOL forever instead of eventually moving over to the real internet, which then quickly became Facebook, I guess. So yeah. here we are again. Yeah. It's a weird moment <laughs> on the internet to be living in. It, 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 it really is. Um, uh, but you know, like you said, this, this kind of transition has happened before and is inevitable because everything, nothing lasts forever. Like everything, <laughs> everything in, in shitifies sooner or later. And something you, else comes along. Yeah, yeah, that word really. <laughs> like, in shitification, I think, is the term of 2023. It's it, the it, word of the year. It it really is. I mean, the, the in shitification, we've talked about it before, but the idea is that at first companies build a product that people like and they get a bunch of users and then they realize that they can't monetize those users effectively. So they have to keep uh, in increasing as they increase their attempts to monetize, they make the product shittier and shittier for the people to use it until they're like, why am I still here? Mm -hmm. I don't, there's just nothing better than this. And then here we are on threads. So (sighs) interesting times to come. But if you don't want to be part of a network that is subject to unshittification, because it's carefully maintained by uh, Brad and myself, Mm -hmm. uh, you can join the TechPod Patreon for five bucks a month. It's true. Uh, with that $5, you get access to our fabulous, uh, monthly patron episode and you get to join the tech pod discord, which is full of delightful human beings. Uh, not a shitty person amongst them. No. And, uh, I mean, we kick the shitty people out I mean, we haven't had, we, it hasn't been a problem no. for the really most hasn't. part. Yeah. It's been quite nice. Um, but yeah, you can join the, the tech pod discord. You can, you can get the patron episode. You can support the podcast, which we really appreciate. We don't run ads. If you heard an ad on this podcast, please let us know. Cause there shouldn't be ads on this podcast anywhere. <laughs> somebody, but uh, somebody besides us is getting paid for that. Yeah. If you did. Yeah. If like, uh, and, and, 
and actually one of the nice things about podcasts, one of the things I love about podcasts is that it is the last of the things that hasn't become centralized. Mm-hmm. Like Spotify's tried everybody who tries to monetize podcasts from a central service stitcher. They went out of business. They're gone. Spotify is backing away from podcasts because they actually ended up funding a bunch of really terrible people. And also they're not making as much money as they like, like podcasts are great because two people can have a nice conversation every week and we can make a little bit of money and uh, it encourages us to keep making those podcasts. So yeah. anyway, you can go yeah. to, you know, you know what? MP3, the ultimate democratization. It's MP3 it's, plus RSS, Brad. Welfare. Two technology, two great technology tastes that taste great together. That's right. Um, but yeah, you can go to patreon.com slash tech pod and, uh, and sign up to be a, a patron. We'd really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. I, I um, realize I, somebody will call me out. I realize MP3 isn't, is a proprietary format that Fraunhofer had to get paid well, substantial I mean, amounts of money. It's not, MP3 is not actually, we would be putting this podcast out in AUG if we truly cared about free audio, but anyway, but we want, we want iTunes to be able to listen to it. So anyway, um, but this is the part of the show where we thank our patrons, uh, especially our executive producers. So thank you all patrons. Yeah. Thank you but especially our executive producer tier patrons, uh, including Nick Johnston, Paddle Creek Games makers of Fractured Veil, Andrew Slosky, Octothorpian Crimes of the Leporidae variety. I believe Ooh. Leporidae is a butter, but, but, uh, bunny, uh, bunny's scientific name. Just Wedge 3.0 NFT salesperson. I don't know how I feel about that. Joel Krauska, Twinkie, and the Argonauts. And oh, David Allen and James Kamek. Thank you all so much, especially the people who don't change their names. Although I do enjoy the name changing because it, it's it's always makes me smile. Um, I hope everybody has a good good week. And I'm going to go blow my nose and be very excited about that. Yeah, Scott, speed to you. Hopefully, the rest of your time in the desert is is less sick than it has been so far. Yeah, and if you need me, I'm going to be posting just the absolute worst shit over on Vapid Twitter. Uh, so. We'll see you all there, I guess. Let's just burn it all down on the way out. Just another Will Smith. Mm-hmm.